RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Somewhere between the 24th and 25th century, there is Picard. Somewhere between Burbank and the 170 is Roddenberry Entertainment. And somewhere between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. on a Monday night, there's Mission Log Live. I'm Rekha Sharma. And I'm John Champion. Here we go, everybody. Picard has premiered. And that means for the next 10 weeks, we'll be talking to you, our Star Trek pals, about every episode. What's been up with Jean-Luc? What is up with Rogue since? What will be up with those Romans? We want to hear from you. Your take on all things Picard, your comments, your questions. Mission Log Live is all about telling us what you think. And you can do that very easily by clicking on the Zoom meeting link or by using the one tap from your smartphone. Or you can just dial us up at 669-900-6833 and enter the meeting code you see on screen. That's right. Now I've seen a comment or two online, and now I want to hear from you, all of you, in person, live, right now. You know what to do. Just like Reka said, you click on the link or you use the one tap or you call 669-900-6833, and we will be here to chat with you. And also, a big thank you for tuning in. You might be joining us live right now at facebook.com slash missionlogpod or at youtube.com slash Roddenberry prod. <laughs> that rhymes. <laughs> or you might be watching this video later, or you might be picking up the audio-only podcast later. Either way, we do appreciate you joining us. And all we ask is that you hit like, you hit share, and you tell others to join us for Mission Log Live to talk Trek. Very well said. And by the way, there are people joining us right now live in the chat. And as I love to do every week, I want to say hi to all of these nice people. So there's Brett, there's Karen, there's, oh, Norman Lau (laughs) from Mission Log. Pleasant to see you there. Uh, There's uh, Mr. Willie, there's Steve, uh, there's other Steve. There's Elizabeth, there's Matt, there's other Karen, there's Barry. Uh, Barry pointing out all of our new graphics, which uh, Tyler and Earl have been hard at work on for quite a long time. So thank you for giving a shout out to that. There's Warren, there's Eric. Uh, Eric saying, hi, John. Hi, Norman. Hi, Reka. Uh, there's Jason. There's Chris. There's Josh. Uh, also saying hello, John, and hello, Reka. So really nice to see everybody here. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Tonight should be a lot of fun, and, and I'm just going to say it right up front. You should already know, spoilerific. We will just be <laughs> spoiling everything to do with Picard. Reka, you've watched it a couple of times now, the premiere episode, yeah. um, and, and we're just not going to hold back with our, our feelings, our opinions, and uh, chatting with each other, and with all of you about uh, your feelings on Picard. Oh, by the way, hey, before we even get to that, Josh says, Reka, great in Discovery, maybe even better in Star Trek Online, one of the best voice performances that game has ever had. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Yeah, so look at that. Josh, he's all Team Reka right now. I like this team. Yes, it is a very good team. (laughs) Now, uh, before we get into our show, of course, uh, every week we want to remind you of what's coming up on Mission Log Live, uh, things to know about the podcast network. So next week, episode two of Picard on Mission Log Live, we'll be discussing uh, 7 o'clock Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, 
Reka will be back with us as she will be here for the run of Picard. I will not be here, though. No, I, I had planned a long time ago to be gone that first week of February before we even knew what the dates of Picard would actually be. So I'm very happy to announce that joining Reka will be Norman Lau from Mission Log and Mission Log Live. That oh. is a perfect team up. I kind of wish I could be here for that, but you know, it'll, it'll be you two and you'll be awesome. So can't Thanks. wait to see or hear that one later. And then also on Thursday, this Thursday, January 30th, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Join us in Sansar. That is sansar.com. Uh, we have a very special guest. We have Scott Mance, who many of you know from uh, being a host at STLV. He is also a host on Access Hollywood and many other uh, uh, sort of entertainment reporting shows. He'll be joining us to talk about the 55th anniversary of wrapping up The Cage. So that wrapped up in uh, January of 65. And uh, we want to do something around it. And, and now the dates are a little nebulous. The last day of actual shooting was in December of 64. But by the time they'd finished recording the music and working on their final mix, we're looking at late January of 65. So we thought, what a great time to invite people into the virtual Roddenberry Theater, have Scott talk about the impact of the cage. Uh, so join us. You don't have to have a VR headset. You can just sign up for free at sansar.com. Use desktop mode, PC only at the moment, but hey, you know, we're, we're hoping they'll switch over at some point and give us Mac users some ability to join them. Uh, so if you have Oculus VR or HTC Vive, please use that, uh, but desktop mode works just as well. We will see you then. Now, uh, Reka, before yes. we get into our discussion, uh, we like to poll our audience. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's not not as dirty as it sounds. So I will kick things off with uh, last week's poll. Now, we asked you, this was right before Picard had premiered for everybody to see. Um, we asked you how you want your Picard. Do you want it canon heavy or do you want to forge a new path? Now, pretty much if you've heard any of Mission Log, you know that I'm not a slave to canon. But this was very interesting to me that after all the responses, canon heavy just barely beat out Forge a New Path. You were almost evenly split. 50.2% of you said Canon Heavy. 49.8% of you said Forge a New Path. Honestly, I'm really happy with what we got because I, I think that they, uh, I, you know, we're going to talk about this in depth, of course. Uh, I think they gave us a lot of new, but tied it back to things that happened in TNG history and Star Trek history without just beating you over the head with it. Um, so you, you don't necessarily feel lost if you're just joining it and you really get to spend time with the character. Oh, I'm just, I'm giving away too much. I, I'll, we'll talk about it when we talk about the episode. <laughs> so with that said, Reka, can you fill us in on this week's poll? Yeah, so this week's poll is now that you've started Picard, are you all in it or do you fold? So I got to say, yeah. um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of haters out there in the world. Yeah, just in, in general. In general. Yeah, yeah. And then in the Star Trek world, there are also many. Yeah. I'm guessing that most of the people that watch Mission Log Live are way too cool to be haters. Bingo. And I think <laughs> I'm right about that because all in, we have 95%. 
Nice. Of course, only leaves five for the the folders. Yeah. And, so and- you know, you're all in. You're you're here to play. You're here to stay. I like it. Yes. <laughs> I love that. And actually, I saw one comment uh, that was saying, you know, the the pilot didn't grab me, but I'm going to hold off Mm. and then maybe binge later. So maybe that person will be all in just somewhere down the road. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, uh, here we go. Uh, And if you haven't watched it, and I cannot believe that anybody in our audience has not watched it, but just in case you haven't, and just to kick us off with some some discussion tonight, you know, we've got three people waiting right now to chat with us. I'm going to blast through a quick little recap of uh, what happened on this week's premiere episode of Picard. You ready, Reka? I'm so ready. All right, here we go. The year is 2399, and in Le Bar, France, Jean-Luc Picard is haunted by the nightmare of an attack on Mars. In Boston, a young woman is haunted by the very real attack on her and her boyfriend, which left him dead and her activated with some kind of super strength, wiping out all her masked assailants and forcing her to go on the run. It's been 14 years since Jean-Luc left Starfleet, And today he's being interviewed for a newscast commemorating, well, exactly what it is that we need to catch up on. When the Romulan sun went supernova, it was Picard who persuaded Starfleet to launch a rescue effort. Shortly after, an attack on Mars led by rogue synthetics sidelined the rescue, leaving millions of Romulans stranded. Picard resigned from Starfleet in protest. The interview ends abruptly when Picard is tired of being pushed by the reporter, but the broadcast is seen by the young woman we met in Boston. She makes her way to France. Arriving at Chateau Picard, the young woman, Dage, explains that she doesn't know why she's there or what happened to her, only that she felt drawn there and that she'd be safe with Picard. She's wearing an interesting necklace, two interlocked silver rings, something her father gave her. The next morning... She's gone. What's more, Jean-Luc had another restless night, this time dreaming about his late friend Commander Data, who is trying to finish a painting of a young woman, one that's mysterious but familiar. After waking, Picard goes to Starfleet Archives, where he calls up a similar painting, this one completed, and realizing it was painted by Data as well, titled Daughter. We catch up with Daj, who is still on the run, this time in Paris, and calling her mother on a holocommunicator. Mom isn't exactly who she seems, though, knowing full well that Daj had seen Picard before Daj even said she did. More worried now, Daj finds Picard at Starfleet and says she must be schizophrenic or something. He says, no, she's special. Data painted her 30 years ago and called the painting Daughter. The memories she has of her family on Earth may be created just as she was lovingly, deliberately. The conversation is cut short as more masked assassins close in. It's a Romulan squad and Dodge fends them off, protecting Picard. She's not so lucky, though. One of the Romulans spits acid on her and, she, and, and he self-destructs. Dodge is no more. Picard is blown back, knocked unconscious by the explosion. When he awakens in his own home, Picard learns that the security footage of the attack doesn't even show Dodge. Something is up, and he can't wait around for answers. He goes to the Daystrom Institute, the place where Dodge was to begin studying before her demise. 
There he meets Dr. Agnes Girardi, who gives him the lowdown on synthetics. Their research got shut down after the Mars attack. And that's all that's left are the body of B4, some theoretical research. That's about it. Bruce Maddox, who was in charge of it all, is gone. Picard pushes to see if it's possible to have a flesh-and-blood synthetic indistinguishable from a human. No, but it's more complicated than that. Maddox was working on a theory about neuronic cloning. Imagine taking a single positronic neuron from a perfect model like Data and using that essence to create more. The way they were experimenting, the cloning was done in pairs. Twins. Cut to somewhere in space. A Romulan vessel enters a reclamation center, and a handsome Romulan with perfectly tousled hair steps out, introducing himself as Narek to Dr. Soji Asha, the identical twin of Daj, and wearing the same necklace with interlocking rings. Those two are maybe kind of sort of hitting it off. Oh, and that reclamation center is a Borg cube. Bye! There you go. What? <laughs> great yes, ending. Rika. Yeah. It was, a, it was a great, I loved everything you said. It was a Borg cube. Borg yep. cube now occupied by sexy Romulans. Yeah. <laughs> Tousled hair. Tousled hair. It was, it was very perfect. Like if I were the hair and makeup guy on that show, it was like, this isn't quite tousled enough. We need to make sure you're, oh, you're, you're just, you're, you're a rogue, rambunctious Romulan who can't be contained as evidenced by your hair. <laughs> All right. I tell I've had you what, my hair tousled on set. Oh, re- oh, wait on uh, on Discovery or uh, Galactica or what? Definitely not on Discovery on on no. Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. They were, I've had like, I've had people come in and director call for more tousling. More tousling. Okay. Discovery, you're a little more. Uh, yeah. You, you were very. Uh, they straightened uh, rigid. it. It was in a ponytail. Yeah. Right. It was very yeah. rigid because you were tough. I mean. Yeah. You are tough. You're just tougher than that. Yeah. It's okay. You're not digging any holes. You're, you're safe. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk with our first caller. We have uh, David, who has been waiting tonight, with some comments about Picard. David, how's it going tonight? Welcome to the show. Hey, John. Hey, hey how's it hey, going? Hey, David. Hey, Reka. Nice good to see you. Yep. Good, good. Uh, I don't know. First of all, if no one can no one can see Earl, but he's got a cat on his shoulder that's giving everybody a look. <laughs> Very Aww. funny. Yeah, yeah. Probably the star of the show. Anyway, Earl, yeah. friend, friend of animals. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, re- real quick before we talk Picard, I just want to say that for those who have not played Star Trek Online, um, I dabble in it a little bit, and Reka's. Um, performance is one of the is i would say the best in that so thank you really really great um really blows up and expands the character of landry i think so that's awesome thank thank you so much you know uh those guys gave me a good good arc to play with so yeah very fortunate very cool well, anyway, well, let's uh, talk about Picard, man. What uh, what is well, up? Uh, have you watched it many, many times? Three, three. Okay. <laughs> and, um, so I think uh, I don't really know what to say, um, but other than some of the subtle things we saw in it, um, I don't know if there's 
much of this talk about how a lot of it refers back to episodes where Picard is challenging the Federation in a way. And I don't know if anybody's really picked up on that, but it seems like uh, all the things we see, the references to measure of a man um, and other episodes there, it's just something I noticed about it um, among other references. So I didn't know if you know, get either of your take on it at all or. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Ray, I I don't know. (laughs) Uh, You you take it away, John. We were literally talking about this, like, just right before, before the show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny. So um, I'm of two minds about this, to be very honest with you. Uh, there is so much that I love about Picard, first and foremost being Sir Patrick Stewart's performance. I mean, just sitting there with that character, I don't care how long it takes to ramp up. Um, there were some people who commented on last week's show and I think commented on the poll again uh, uh, talking about my statement that you really need to watch the first three to get sort of a clear picture of the story. Like, like one, two, and three are um, a little disjointed. They're giving you a little taste, a little slice. Then by the time you get to three, it's like, okay, now I see where we're going. Um, what I'm saying is that it tends to move slowly <laughs> in some ways, but I'm good with that. I love that. I love sitting with that character and just getting to know him. The thing that concerns me, one of the things that concerns me is uh, exactly as you put it, David, are we simply setting up another example of another story where the hero has to fight against Starfleet and or the Federation However, we want to we want to frame this, and um, I a big part of me wants to say, can we please stop doing that story? Um, you know, we've had so many examples where maybe you just have the bad moral, maybe you just have the one character who is an authority figure that Kirk has to kind of take down or Picard has to take down. Um, but we've really started to see a shift where it's the institution they were saying has a problem or is corrupt. It's a little too early to tell with Picard if that's exactly where we're going. Uh, but if it is, uh, it, it it causes me a little bit of worry because, um, you know, we hope that in the 24th century, this positive vision of the future that Gene Roddenberry set up, uh, that humans are pretty good about setting up their institutions Humans are, they have moved beyond the petty things that separate us, like social status and religion and and, uh, tribal beliefs and these types of things. And we get to work to the common good, the common better for all. But then every now and then we get the story where it says like, oh, this is all messed up. Uh, uh, Starfleet is corrupt. And now we have to wait for one person to come along and fix it. Um, I don't love that. But I do respect the idea that every now and then Star Trek has to do sort of uh, maybe not a reboot, but like a, a realignment and and remind itself and remind us like, hey, even if we stray off course, here's how we come back. Um, maybe that's where we get with this. But I, I don't want to see a, a recycled plot line. Um, I want to see our biggest challenge come from out there. 
Star Trek is about what's going on out there. Yeah, it's about the human condition. It's about the human heart. Uh, but those challenges typically come from something beyond where we're just fighting with each other. Um, any thoughts, either of you? <laughs> Sorry for my monologue. <laughs> it was a great monologue. Oh, thank you. Um, well, well, I'm I, starting to oh, go ahead. Well, I, I, I've got also a monologue just waiting to come out. But, uh, but first, David, do you have any thoughts or response to what John just said? Well, uh, yes, actually. I'm starting to wonder if it's trying to tell us that it's really the journey towards this that's the adventure. Not uh, We're not just instantly there. You know, we're not going to ever instantly be at this miraculous place where we move beyond certain deficiencies maybe um maybe uh it's the journey maybe like you said it's constantly going to be having to realign itself uh year over year century over century maybe there's trying to tell us to in this day and age look out as well that we may need a realignment now we may need a realignment in a hundred years we may need a realignment in a thousand years so i don't know yeah, but you you also make some good points about um, it. It, it, so, it sort of looks like it's headed towards that same thing that Discovery season uh, one, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I, yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's there in in a lot of this storytelling, and I think uh, I I like what you just said, David, uh, about you know sort of being in the in the now is what I'm getting from that. And um, just reminded me of a moment when um, Garrett Wong's character, I'm sorry, I, I it's Harry hard Kim. for me. What's, what's his name? A- and Ensign Harry Kim. That's right. That's he, right. Forever Ensign he, Harry Yeah, Kim. he who shall not be promoted. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that moment on Voyager when, uh, where he's, you know, they think for sure that he's going to say, I'm out of this mission because I'm, I, he's so stuck on going to earth. Um, but then he has this beautiful little speech where he just says like, you know what? Yeah, I really do want to go to earth, but right now, like where I am right now, there's nowhere I'd rather be than with this group of people doing what we're doing right now. And, uh, it was just a great moment because, you know, we're all like that. We can all get really set and stuck on our goals so much so that it takes us out of the journey. And life is about the journey. It's not about the destination because we don't have any control over what the destination is. And and quite frankly, I'm, um, that's a blessing. It's a total blessing because uh, I think life would be boring if we knew how it was going to end. And if our plans actually all came to fruition, it's like, uh, you know, the universe has far more interesting plans for us. Um, anyway, uh, to add to you know this this discussion, the idea of you know what storytelling is really about to me is you know John and I were talking about this as well earlier is <laughs> you know it's it's not necessarily that the institution and the person it's it's all a metaphor for all parts of ourselves and. So the institution is that very thing, the ego that's set on the goal, that thinks that life has to be a particular way and uh, very rule-oriented and very stiff and structured. And 
And we all have that. A lot of that stuff for us is in our minds and in our egos. And that stuff is stifling. And our hearts, which is represented by Picard, which is represented by Burnham, that courageous, courageous heart. Um, there's two words that Picard uses to describe data in this, in this premiere, which I love. He says he's all meaning and all courage. Mm. And, uh, and I love that he sees him through those eyes, you know, that that's what he sees. And, and that's, that force is what is needed for the world to be a better place within um, us, right? Yeah. Uh, well, interesting that you're saying, oh, we're getting some really great comments in the chat right now as well. Oh, yes. uh, Sh- Shereel, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, the journey is always what Star Trek is about, as David says, especially in the environment we are in these days. And then uh, I want to skip down here to John, John Arminio. Hey, John, uh, we haven't talked in a long time. Uh, I think considering the politics of the day, something Star Trek has always commented on, it seems like our own greatest threats come from within our own borders, from those creating fear and sowing hatred. We have to be our best selves to reject that hate and fear. And maybe it takes people like Picard to remind us of that. Um, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I don't disagree that there are great stories uh, in Star Trek and in other literature about the the hero or the, the moral center, the moral heart, who is able to take on the corruption and the failures around us and get us back on the right path. Um, I think Star Trek has done that many times. <laughs> it kind of did the opposite in uh, Star Trek VI, when Kirk was the one who was resistant and reluctant to try to see peace come about between the Federation and the Klingons, there were elements of corruption within both sides there as well, but institutionally they were on board with, with actually coming together and forging peace. What we had to do was stamp out those smaller elements that said, no, 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 peace is not the way we have to stay the way we've been because that's just the natural order of things. Um, I, I want Star Trek to be relevant. And at the same time, I want Star Trek to point to something better to say that not all of our stories have to be bleak. Not all of our stories have to start with the premise that we failed at setting up our institutions. We failed at being better uh than than just our our base desires like if i want that i've got westworld <laughs> you know yeah. which it is and i say i love westworld and i love the exploration of uh what is human nature and are we violent and are these things that we need and and uh, are we truly that manipulative and and awful uh these are all interesting things to ruminate on in this science fiction construct star trek to me started out as something different that said we did get beyond all that. We, we, we did manage to figure out a way to work together and create institutions that benefit each other. And then when we face challenges or adventures, they're somewhere else. They're yeah. outside. Um, it's funny, Rake and I having, again, this exact yeah. same conversation an hour ago. Um, my example was in TOS, Kirk and Spock representing us are the ones who point to Loki and Beale saying, yeah, the guy who's half black and half white and the other guy who's half white and half black, um, 
they're idiots because they haven't gotten past their own racism. They're idiots because they haven't figured out that bigotry will only lead to their demise. Meanwhile, Federation uh, and, and Starfleet, we presumably don't have that problem there. And that's what allowed us to do great things like go into space and explore our galaxy. So I will step down from my soapbox. <laughs> I will get on. Okay, um, good, because, good, please. Because absolutely, I, I think, um, you know, we learn from our parents, right? We, we're all, mm-hmm. we learn from what's being uh, modeled to us. And, and at this moment, there are literally is like, there's a million things that explore um, all the things that are negative within ourselves and all the things that we struggle with and they're worthy of exploring. But uh, how about just positive modeling? Mm. How yeah. will we ever yeah. learn how to talk to one another, how to be kind, how to um, get past these problems if we're not shown what that looks like? Um one thing I always go back to is in order to create anything, we have to be able to imagine it first. Uh, it's literally how our bodies work. If we want to get out of bed in the morning, you know, our brains, we, we at some level, it might be just a split second, but we think that our leg needs to move. Mm-hmm. And then that sends a signal and we're off to the races and we've gotten out of bed. If you can't imagine how to cook an egg, you literally can't make one. Yes. So, so yes. let's, yeah. can we feed an imagination? Can we feed a, a vision into the world that is beautiful? That is, we've figured it out. That is, everybody gets along. Nobody treats each other like garbage anymore, you yeah. know? And we don't throw our garbage into uh, in the environment and, you know, like all of these <laughs> right. problems. I would right. love to see some modeling of how to do that properly because that's how we learn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we could do I mean, the Maybe whole... it takes writers that have... <laughs> yeah, well, right, right. That are, yeah. that, are, that are more evolved. Maybe we need a bunch yeah. of enlightened writers writing a show, you know, get all the Buddhist monks or something into... Uh, <laughs> into Hollywood and have them write a show and and maybe we'd all learn how to be better. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you're saying. I mean, there's a lot of Star Trek that has been written, it seems, from the premise now of, uh, okay, things are really terrible. And uh, the, you know, institutionally, Starfleet and or the Federation have failed us in some way. So now we have to fix it. And I look back to TOS and something like uh, the Corvamite Maneuver, which is sort of hallowed ground for discussion on mission log. And, you know, in one line, you have Kirk saying, there's no room for bigotry on my bridge. Done. Okay, boom, done. We're, we're done there. Uh, and, and now we have established to the other people on the ship and the people watching in the audience, um, this ain't that show where people argue amongst each other because of their narrow-minded prejudices. Um, so... Uh, with all that said, uh, David, I want to say thank you because we have a couple sure. other people hanging on the line right now. Thank you so much for calling in. And, thank you for uh, listening to us natter yeah. on. We, it was such a good oh, question yeah. that we couldn't stop talking. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> so it was good. The, the biggest one. And, thank and, you and look, 
Yeah, and, and as you know, man, call back because I, I feel like this will be a thing that we revisit throughout yeah. the run of Picard to figure out really what's going on here. Um, so thanks, David. And we're going to get to uh, the Vice Admiral here in a moment. And then we've got Martin on the phone waiting after the Vice Admiral. Very quickly, though, uh, there's a question in the chat that I want to pose. Uh, mm-hmm. Shreel again says, here's a question to Mission Log. Who do you think is our analog in Picard so far? Hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of struggling with that one because I like the simple answer is well we all want to be like Picard. Mm-hmm. We we want to be that moral center and and the heart of the show which is truly him. Um we in general would probably say well we we have uh, political and social institutions that sometimes fail us or make decisions that may not be the right ones. So in the early 21st century, we on a bigger scale probably relate to what was happening in Starfleet to say, well, you know, we're we're done with this whole Romulan thing. They were our enemies. We're not going to stick our necks out anymore to help save them. And we're going to run scared from the uh, the threat of these synths uh, the rogue sense. Um, but I think the bigger answer is everything in Star Trek is all us anyway, the good and the bad. Yeah. You know? Um, I don't know. Was there anybody uh, who you think you particularly identify with or you think is the the representative us in Picard? You're asking me? I'm asking you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> This is Rake's first mission log live. Um, You've had a long day too. Yeah, I have. I have. And I'm uh, fighting off something. I don't know what, but um, yeah. luckily you can't get my gerbs on the internet. Um, Yay. Uh, I, you know, I haven't thought about that question, but but as as it was posed, um, of course, Picard is, is an answer, but also... There's something about the twins, uh-huh. you know, um, and the, the, the metaphor of, of twinning, twinning um, in Jungian terms is something that is coming into consciousness that wants to come into consciousness is what the, um, the metaphor of a twin is whenever there's that in a story. Um, and it's something that always fascinates me. And, you know, uh, the whole idea of it being a people's that is not a people's or what we consider to be not a people's, you know, droids have rights to, mm-hmm. um, why are we, uh, why are they outlawed? Why are they considered less than, I think that might be, you know, the heart of the story in, in there too. You know, it's interesting, like the very moment you said that, like simultaneously in the chat, Daniel said, I think it would be Soji slash Dodge. We're trying to figure out who we are and what we are capable of. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, So, Daniel, Team Reka, right there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I mean, it literally a a big thing for me in this this, uh, premiere is, to me, it's all about waking up. I feel like mm. that's the big theme 
that this story is telling in the premiere. When are you going to wake up? Because that's where it starts. She gets activated. Mm -hmm. And then it's about like waking up to who you really are. She thinks she's just this person. Yeah. But actually she's uh, this being made with love. Made with, uh, what was the two words that... Uh, uh, what was it? Oh, uh, uh, courage and uh, what's no, no. the other one? No, lovingly uh, not... and deliberately, oh, and deliberately. Yes. created. Yes, um, as we are lovingly and deliberately created, and uh, you know, waking up to who we are, our strength, our beauty, despite what the masses think, because the masses, you know, hate the sins, um, and and even that metaphor within itself of like what's the uh what does the collective think about mm-hmm. myself okay i'm a person who's you know in my heart of hearts is really into something that maybe you know doesn't hurt anybody but nobody thinks it's cool and so i'm going to just push that shove that down you know whatever yeah. it is that makes you unique it's like no man wake up Find out what what you're made of that you can, uh, like lightning seeking the ground. That's the kind of strength that she has. Everything inside her uh, knew that she had to go to Jean-Luc. And that's, you know, intuition, listening to oneself, find like discovering your intelligence is far beyond anything you ever thought. I'll stop talking now. I can keep going. No, that very, um, very nice, very nice. And and in, <laughs> in addition to that, I, uh, David in the chat says episode one is never a good place to determine character status. See Lorca. Yes. <laughs> so good. Good point. Very good point there. So, but, um, but this is where my musings take me, and I'm happy to you know go on the journey. But I wonder if that's that's what I'm hit with in this. Yeah premiere that i'm excited by is this nice. question of nice can you wake up to who you really are see this is what i like is that right away uh picard i feel like is dealing with big themes and mm-hmm. this this theme of identity is one of them and and it's it's very cool that's that's the kind of thing that gets me excited about where we go over the next nine episodes so uh let's go to our next caller i know that uh martin is holding on but we have the vice admiral uh, first, so welcome back to the show, Vice Admiral. How are you doing tonight? Oh, pretty good. good. How are you, John? Rika? Welcome. Doing all right. We're doing great. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Excellent. So what's on your so, mind tonight, sir? Well, what do you think, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you've already brought up a bunch of excellent points, and it's been a very good conversation. And there's lots of things we could talk about that could drift off into other places, but I'm wondering... One place we could look to drift off is uh, if the Federation has, in fact, changed a bit to the point where Picard felt the need to, you know, assume he couldn't do anything to fix it at the time, is that maybe you had 90,000 deaths on Mars. Yeah. And how many deaths in the Dominion War, which wasn't that far ahead of that, right? Oh, yeah. I couldn't tell you, but yeah, a lot. So, you know, maybe a lot of the most optimistic members of Starfleet are gone, at least uh, Mm. at the time. I'm not going to say more optimism, more people with optimism won't appear or 
rise up in the ranks. I'm just wondering if, you know, the, the, the type of admirals that uh, we all know are the, not the type that we like <laughs> were the ones who, you know, uh, like we saw in Homefront, right? Yeah. Uh, which I know jumped the timeline from yeah. the other show, but, um, uh, you know, we're hoping to remilitarize. We're hoping to go isolationist. And maybe this gave those things and a few others gave them the opportunity to get there. And maybe we'll get a little bit more from Picard, not just that, that, that there was a one incident with, with the Romulans, but that it became more of a, uh, the prevailing way of thinking in Starfleet. Well, you make a really good point, and that, that's something that um, even as we have been talking about maybe where are we going, are we telling the right story, should Starfleet be corrupt or isolationist or, or say anathema to the, uh, uh, the principles that we think it should have, um, what I really like is that even in raising those questions, we've shown Star Trek taking a little bit broader view of what has happened in its own universe. So this kind of goes back to that poll question last week about canon heavy or forging a new path. We're telling a new story here, but those really big incidents like destruction at Romulus, like uh, the the defeat of the Borg, uh, like what they kind of created here for the uh, kicking off the plot line with the attack on Mars... These have long-term effects. Right. And even the death of Data. I'm glad that they didn't wave a magic wand and just say, okay, Data's back. I know oh, that, that was this handled is, brilliantly. I love that. It, it yeah. was. And it's something that Picard has been dealing with for 20 years. Um, so these characters have an emotional life and an emotional depth that you don't always get out of Star Trek or, or I mean, for that matter, a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really respect that. And that is one thing that I feel like if we are going down this path where there's something wrong happening at Starfleet or this isolationist uh, tack that they're taking now doesn't feel right, hopefully we're creating some nuance and gray areas and places to explore in here instead of just sort of doing the very old TV thing, which is, now here's the guy to set us all right. And you wave a magic wand or you, you, you kill the right bad guy and then you're back on the correct path. Right. I don't think we're going that way at all here. I think this no. is a, a much more thoughtful, much more nuanced show. And if I can just say that was one thing too that I was very happy to see, you know, because uh, I've worked on a lot of these stories that are really uh, war stories. You know, they happen to be in space, but they're essentially war stories and... Uh, if any of you know about my, you know, team donut uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> charity thing that I that I'm trying to do, uh, PTSD is real, and that's what opens the show. And you know, um, just because it's sci-fi doesn't mean that it's cleaner. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same story. So I, I really appreciated that as well. That's all I wanted to say about that. Uh, Steve in the chat had an interesting comment. He says, uh, good point. The consequences of the Dominion War could well have changed the ideology of the Federation. But isn't the whole point of Star Trek that it wouldn't? Picard might be playing that role right here. So, yeah, here we have this sort of, um, you know, Reka, going back to something we talked about, uh, and whether it's Star Trek or Galactica or whatever, without 
conflict, there isn't drama. Mm -hmm. The question is, where are we sort of contriving that conflict to happen? And in the Star Trek uh, context, are we being maybe a little too precious about Starfleet and the Federation? Should we just let this play out and go, oh, okay, well, sometimes you need, you need the reset. You need to be put back on the right path. I don't well, know. When, when you're is... not at war, when you're not at war, you're not suffering huge losses yeah. uh, because of your ideals are perhaps, at least according to maybe some in your own organization, not the right ones. Um, you know, uh, those don't survive, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, they have to change in order to meet the demands of, yeah. the, of what's going on. And that sometimes takes a long, hard uh, amount of work to get back to where you wanted to be. Yeah, very true. Um, hey, I, if you don't have any other uh, uh, thoughts or, or ideas <laughs> I always to do, share but about go it, on, move I, on. No, no, no. Uh, I, I do want to make sure that we have uh, time enough for other callers tonight, Martin, and then for a little uh, a little station ID. Uh, mm-hmm. But a- any other uh, parting ideas for us tonight? Well, sure. We've seen before. We've we've seen data in the in the flashbacks. Where's Lore? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Just yeah. wondering. Yeah, hey, look, <laughs> is he with Maddox somewhere? That's gotta gotta wonder. I know, right? I, I'm very curious to see if we see it's Maddox. So exciting! <laughs> <laughs> What's gonna happen next? It's yes. very cool. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Well, been great. Thank you so much for calling in tonight. We'll see you thank soon. Thank you. We will take care. All right. Uh, oh yeah, and hey, our very own uh, Earl Green, our technical director, like Cisco says, it's easy to be a saint in paradise. I love that. Yeah. Hey, uh, Reka, if you would do us any honors here and just uh, let the fine folks who are listening and or watching know about the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Yes. So, you know, besides this thing that we're doing here, perhaps (laughs) you want to know what else is on the Roddenberry Roddenberry Podcast Network. Well, we have the other Mission Log show. Yeah. Not live. Not live. Uh, We have Priority One Podcast, and you can join them for their live show Tuesday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern. We have Women at Warp. Love those ladies. (laughs) Uh, We have the Trek Files. We have Daily Star Trek News. And the newest member of the troop, Shabam! 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 (laughs) Um, You can find all of those at podcast.roddenberry.com. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Have you been on Women at Warp? Uh, at STLV, we had... That uh, sounds right, yeah. Uh, one of the best panels that I have ever done. Wow. In my entire convention career. Nice. Yeah. See, they know what they're doing. They do. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, let us jump over to uh, Martin, who has been patiently hanging on on the phone. Martin, welcome to the show. How you doing, sir? I appreciate your show. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Thanks for joining us tonight. Well, I'm glad to be here. What uh, What is on your mind this evening? I'm just concerned that I think that Alice Kurtzman and J.J., is, especially Alice Kurtzman since he's in charge of the TV series, is destroying Gene's vision of a positive future. That's what I'm concerned about. I, I, I'm, notice, I'm noticing with all their shows like Beyond and Insurrection, I mean, not believe me, Beyond and uh, uh, Into Darkness, 
it's like the Federation people is always the bad villains in it. Yeah. And now you're starting to see the same thing with, with, with Picard. It's like the, the Starfleet is in disarray. He lost faith in Starfleet. And I, I'm just starting to see that it's like they don't believe in Gene's vision. That's what I'm, that's what I'm starting to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. And I think the fans are putting up with it. That's what I, that's what make, make me even more concerned about is that the fan base is putting up with people who do not really believe in Gene's vision of the future. And that's what I'm concerned about. I, I I think your concern is not unfounded. I mean that that's really been the the focus of the conversation. That's interesting, Rake. I like we we had all these yeah. other notes and other other things, but that has really become the focus of tonight's show. Yeah. Um, which is maybe a little unfair, only because we don't know what's coming nine episodes from now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so maybe just maybe we'll have a little better. Uh, a little better sense of that as we get six or seven or eight episodes into this. But yeah, I mean, Martin, you're, you're certainly onto something. Insurrection, yeah, you had Starfleet that was doing some shady stuff. Um, you have examples in Discovery of Starfleet, maybe, maybe because they weren't thinking straight, they're, they're blinded by sort of what's happening in the context of a war. But we got to the end of season one where we're asking ourselves, is it right or wrong to commit genocide against the Klingons? And, and you have to have somebody remind a Starfleet admiral, yes, that's wrong. Uh, we don't do that, <laughs> you know? Um, so I... You know, I, I think maybe what you're looking at goes even further back than just sort of the current administration. You know, uh, Gene Roddenberry only worked on really the first two seasons of Star Trek, uh, a chunk of Star Trek, the animated series, and then the first really couple of seasons of The Next Generation. And and even then, even though he lived until 91, he was doing less and less on the day to day. Um, but I seen, but I seen some of his interviews though. He was very, uh, he believed in mankind. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Totally. He absolutely did. And, but here's the thing. I, I will say this. He, he also said in an interview, uh, that's been quoted many times. He said, look, I hope that somebody comes along. There's somebody who's more creative, more talented than me. I hope somebody comes along and takes Star Trek and does something totally different with it. And they, they, you know, express their own vision. It, it's not just my thing. And believe me, man, I, I, I hear you because I, I struggle with this a little bit, having done Mission Log as long as I've done and being surrounded by things that are Roddenberry. And on the one hand, you have to say, well, here's a guy who had a singular idea for a TV show, but that TV show isn't just him. It's all the other very talented people around him, the people that he hired or the people who came after him, who said, we need to push the storytelling even further, even further. Uh, but we all get to ask ourselves at the end of the day, even if we agree, okay, it's Star Trek, but what is the message that we're trying to say here? What, what are we actually trying to get across by telling this story? Um, I don't know. About, I, I don't have a, a single solid answer for you, other than to say keep watching and keep listening because this is exactly the kind of thing we like to pick apart 
on Mission Log and on Mission Log Live. Hey, sir, can I say one more thing, please? Please. Sure. Another, another, another thing I noticed, and, and I watched the Trek Yards today, when Ricard was talking to the doctor, she said maybe a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to believe that in, in, on Discovery, in the season three, that the Federation won't even be around. They destroyed Starfleet. Ah, that, I don't yeah. think I don't think that's what Gene Roddenberry wanted. That's why that guy made the comment about the flag. He said, "I ain't seen this in a long time." Ah. I believe they're gonna destroy. I believe yeah. they gonna destroy Federation. That'll piss me off yeah. because 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 <laughs> because Star Trek is about us. Star Trek inspired astronauts, engineers. It inspired a lot of people because we have a positive outlook of the future. I don't think Gene wants that future to be destroyed. Yeah, and that's well, what I'm concerned about. We got lazy people who's writing who don't understand the vision of Gene. Well, I, I, that's one thing. I, that's one thing I'm concerned about. Well, and I, I'm scared. I, tell you the truth. Yeah, I, I, I feel for you. And and as a as a Trek fan, honestly, when I was on Discovery, I was worried about that too. I didn't know how it was going to turn out. And I know not everybody probably not everybody's going to agree with me, but. I was really worried. I thought, are they, do these people get it? Well, let mm. me tell you one thing. They're not lazy. Yeah. <laughs> I've never yeah. met a lazy writer who's staffed on a series <laughs> on anything Very that true. I've worked yeah. on. I'm sure they exist, but let me tell you, they are working very, very hard on all of the Star Trek projects. Um, okay, hey ma'am. One one of the things I noticed too, they don't seem to know canon. Like for example, on the trek on the the trek the cartoon, it's very difficult. Yeah. You know, there are some of the writing staff who do know a lot of the canon. It is fifty years of television, uh, and there's there's so many things to juggle. So, uh, um, yeah, that uh, I, Rico, I it, can't even explain to you, and I'm not even in the writers' room, but just. At least being on the show, I feel like I have a better sense than, than maybe the, the fan base does. They are working their butts off and they are really doing their best. I, yeah. I can say that. Do you, do you think they get it, ma'am? Do you, do you think they get it? I think some of them really get it. And I think the ones that don't get it are doing their darndest to get it and to play catch up. I mean, some, some, of, the, some of the writers aren't old enough. They, they haven't had enough time to watch it all. Or they've been watching other shows, but they're darn good writers, and and they learn from the people who have watched all of the shows. And I, I will tell you what I felt relieved about when the product came out, and as I've gotten to know everybody involved more and more over the last few years, um, the heart of Star Trek, I believe, is alive at these shows. It's in the hearts of the actors. It's in the hearts of the creators. You know, um, everybody's different, but it's there. It's there and it's alive and well, I believe. Yeah, Rekha, I, I, I want to back up what you're saying here because it's important to point out. Uh, not everybody has to agree with every creative decision. Not everybody has to be on board with every story that's being told. Uh, but it is very important to understand that uh, the people who work on these shows, not only do they work hard, but they actually care. They, they care do. very deeply about the stories that they're telling, about what they're writing, and about how those are presented. Um, so it, it, it's definitely unfair uh, to not be in those shoes and assume uh, that they aren't heavily invested in what they're doing. 
Um, by the way, I, I do want to read some comments here that are coming in. Very, this very interesting conversation here. Matt says, claiming to know what Gene Roddenberry wants seems impossible at this point. He's been yeah. gone for 25 years. He initially didn't want Patrick Stewart. Look at how well it turned out. <laughs> so that's a, a very good point there. Yeah. Um, and then Chris uh, hits on something that we talk about a lot on the Trek files in particular, and I've mentioned several times on Mission Log, which is Roddenberry didn't articulate his utopian future until years after TOS. So yes, but there's room for interpretation. Um, that kind of goes back to this thing that I was talking about before, which is that Gene had certain ideas, but he only worked on the shows for a relatively small period of time compared to how much Star Trek has been created. And a lot of that stuff that we attribute to what Gene was doing or what he, what quote unquote Gene wanted, uh, it, it's a bit unfair. We can go back to some college lectures in the seventies. And that's what I know that Larry and, and I've kind of adopted it on my own too. what Larry likes to call the gurufication of Gene. Where yeah. I mean, he was a flawed human being just like the rest yeah, of us. Yeah. And so he's kind of making these grand <laughs> proclamations by this, this is the future. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, you, you had a show that you were just trying to keep on the air. You know, the first and foremost, that, that's what it was about. And a lot of the other stuff came much later. Martin, uh, I want to thank you for calling in and chatting with us and, and giving us some challenging, interesting stuff to chew on tonight. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I also want to invite you to stick with Picard and stick with our discussion on it, uh, because who knows what we're going to get. And, and we might all end up in very different places nine weeks from now uh, when we wrap it all up, Okay. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper, my friend. Have a good night. Same All right. Um, yeah, uh, Reka, I just curious, because we, we only have just a few minutes mm -hmm. to go here. Um, I'm, I'm curious, and you don't have to give details, you don't have to name names or anything, but as somebody who went from one franchise, from, from Battlestar Galactica, which, you know, is just pulling very loosely from some source material, but very consciously rebooting. When you go into something like Discovery, is it a different attitude? It is a different sort of care and handling of, of a property. Could you tell? Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, different, different ball of wax. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whole different feeling on set. Um, I don't even know. I, I mean, one thing is the you know all, all the 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 weight of the canon you know the, the weight of this massive massive show i mean the the original Battlestar galactica was like a blink of an eye in comparison to what star trek is so um uh, you know it was huge and we were all very aware of it and very much trying to hold up what the show is about and hoping that we didn't mess it up. And uh, I don't think anybody, anybody felt like that on Battlestar, maybe in early days before I got there, there was a lot less online on the line. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, Brian in the chat says, in 2020, you don't get resolution at the end of every episode. You have to make it through the season these days. That's very true. So Great yeah, point. We, we really don't know where we're going to end up. Um, and that's an important thing to, to keep in mind as we go through this. So it, it's really tough to say, like, and I even go back to my own thoughts on this, like, are they screwing up Starfleet. Yeah, this yeah. is going to be another example of the one person who has to save Starfleet in the series. We you really know, don't know. But and also like, you know, from the from the 50s and 60s to to now a lot has changed in television. And and honestly, in the spectrum of television, you know, where like shows like Succession for instance are are huge, you know, where everybody is like a complete jerk and corrupt and awful. Star Trek in comparison, uh, Picard in comparison has a lot of positivity in it. You Mm know, Uh, can you imagine Game of Thrones would have probably made Gene Roddenberry keel and, you know, keel (laughs) over on the spot if he had seen something that intense. So relatively speaking (laughs) in our times, it's very positive show. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, I thank you so much for doing this. And I, I so look forward to the next uh, several weeks that we get to do this together yeah. and have these uh, deep conversations. I'm going to leave us before I read the credits with a comment here from John in the chat. Uh, John Morales says, now that we have had this discussion on the first episode, the same discussion we have every time there's a new show, I hope we can move beyond it for future shows and just talk about what we have rather than what everyone thinks Star Trek is. Love that. Hallelujah. Well said. That is a great comment to end with. So thank you, John. Thank you, everybody who's watching and listening. Thank you so much, Reka. And with that said, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by the incredible Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.